Welcome to Slapshot Podcast, episode number 31. I am your host, Chris Morris. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's good to be talking hockey once again as we continue to move closer to the beginning of the NHL season. When is that season going to start? That's still up in the air, but we're getting closer. We are getting closer. We're getting there. The NHL and the NHLPA are still fighting over money, but if everything goes as planned, we should have hockey in January. We should have it. And I'm I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I miss hockey. I miss. I would, like, I would do terrible things to watch, like, Ottawa and Arizona play hockey or Detroit and Ottawa play a 0-0 game where both teams have less than 20 shots after three periods, you know? Like, that's how much I miss hockey. I'd watch whatever is on TV at that point, whatever's on there. But we're slowly getting through there. If you if you aren't caught up on what's going on in the NHL, I mean, Gary Bettman and the owners, right, they negotiated their CBA four months ago, right? And we understand that there's a global pandemic going on and owners lost some money, because there's no fans in the seat, and that's fine. But if to, to kind of just wrap this a little bit into a nice little easy-to-understand uh, kind of explanation here, right? The owners are kind of asking players for more money because their fear is, well, they're not the revenue's not going to be shared 50-50. They're going to be run out. Now, I will say this. If you know me and you follow my Twitter, which you should be doing anyways, at FuzzyChris91, make sure you do that. You know that I fully support the players in this one. And owners are just, it's its normal that they want more money or they want to protect it. I understand that they're going to lose some money this season, as is most leagues, right? The NBA, the NFL as well. I know some of, you know, NFL has player, um, I'm sorry, fans in attendance in certain, uh, for certain teams, certain venues, depending on how the restrictions are set up by, you know, state officials. But again, a large majority is the same thing with the NBA. They're going to be playing in empty arenas. And for the NHL now to turn around four months later and try to renegotiate with the players is an absolute slap in the face to them. Now, Again, the owners knew, and if you aren't, again, if you're on Twitter and you're not following Alan Walsh, you should probably do that, right? So Alan Walsh, player agent with Octagon Hockey, represents a whole bunch of, you know, well-known players, Marc-Andre Fleury, Max Pacioretty, to name two of them. He's got some good stuff. He's a lawyer, right? So this is a guy who clearly understands the laws really well. Now, there was some talk that the NHL might think of just locking the players out, And saying, hey, we're just going to cancel the season. Now, it's unlikely that it happens. And Alan Walsh said that at that point, the players would, you know, file a grievance with the, you know, with the labor board at that point, saying that the owners can't do that. And I'm not going to go into a whole bunch of detail that's not what this episode of the podcast is dedicated to. But I will say this. I will listen to Alan Walsh and his legal perspective ahead of anybody else right now. The league is looking, We they were looking at a January 1st start. That seems very unlikely. I'm taping this on December 5th. By the time they get two weeks of training camp in and everything, just January 1st doesn't seem feasible. And they still have things that they need to iron out. So the league has said, they're, you know, maybe January 15th would be a better start point. And they're looking at about 56 games as for a regular season. 56 is fine. It's, you know, more than enough. 
they want to finish the season somewhere in early July, which is we which is fine, right? You, you don't want this to go on into August and September and then push next season back as well. So it's understandable at that point that the players want to get the most games in, right? Owners probably want to get the least amount because players are paid based on the number of games that they play. And, you know, if you play less games, you get paid less. So, again, the players have given up a lot, right? They've taken the brunt, escrow, that terrible term, right? Players' escrow is really up there. And the entire free agency was kind of set up for players to manage what was negotiated four months ago, right? And if you look at it in precisely, let's say, the Taylor Hall deal, right? Taylor Hall size a one-year deal, and then he's hoping he can you know, have a great season, bank that, escrow goes down again next season, sign deals, right? And a lot of players who sign multi-year deals, right? We've seen rules been put into the CBA uh, prohibiting players from collecting a stupid amount of money, right? Front-loading their contract, as they call it. So collecting a lot of the money up front and then towards the end of their contract, getting paid peanuts. There's a whole bunch of just rules that have been put around that. And for the first time, we were seeing players kind of backload their contracts, saying, okay, well, because escrow is taking everything here, well, I'll just push the money back towards the end of my contract. I'll make $2 million in my first year, and I'll collect $8 million in year four because that's when the players get a bigger chunk and they pay less escrow. So for the NHL, Gary Bettman and the owners to turn around and say, hey, we don't really like that. We want to renegotiate it. And Bettman has come out and say, look, we're not trying to renegotiate. And you can call, you know, you can cover a turd in chocolate. It's still a turd, by the way. So you can call it whatever you want, Gary, you're trying to renegotiate the terms of a deal that you've agreed on with the players. So I, in short, I don't think that the NHL is going to lock its players out. I think legally that's going to be a headache for the league. I don't think the players or owners want that. I understand owners are greedy. That's who they are, right? Every single majority owner of a franchise in the NHL is a billionaire. So these are billionaires complaining that they're going to lose a little bit of money. So I'm not siding with billionaires. Players can be millionaires. That's fine. But again, I I don't think the regular Joe understands what a billion, what a billion dollars looks like, right? I don't think they understand. And I do see people who are trying to side with the owners and are saying, hey, you know, the players, they should take whatever they can because anything is better than zero. And then I try to flip that question around and I say, okay, well, imagine if your employer did that. Like, imagine if your employer just said, hey, take whatever we give you because that's all you got. Right? That's not how you negotiate. And that's not how a player and the NHLPA looks at it. They can't just say, well, we're afraid of losing out on a season. We'll just take whatever the owners are giving us. That's not it. That's not how this works. I'd much rather the players stand up to the owners and say, hey, this is what you agreed on, and this is what we're doing. And you want to renegotiate that in four years or whenever the CBA is up? Do that. But you can't do it now. You can't do it four months after. You knew what was coming. You knew the pandemic was here. You knew that a second wave was possible. Everybody knew what was going on here. So to say, oh, we are going to get less of the pie and we don't like what we agreed to is absolute garbage. So... That's that's the again the most in my opinion that I'm going to give here. I wanted to focus this podcast on something else. Going to take a look at some fantasy hockey today because fantasy hockey is around the corner when the NHL season resumes. Fantasy hockey resumes, and I am excited for fantasy hockey as I'm assuming most people are. So yes, my two cents here: the owners are wrong. The players should stand up to it. Let's sort this out. Let's get this going. Because everybody stems to lose if there is no NHL season. Okay, 
Start with that. And again, follow Alan Walsh on Twitter. Do that. Follow me on Twitter, then follow him. He's a wonderful follow. He's not afraid to call out the big boys and the big name people who are reporting it. Again, he's good. I know what his job is, but he's a smart individual. I enjoy what he has to tweet. All right. That being said, like I said, we're going to talk about fantasy hockey today. So if you do play fantasy hockey, who knows? I... I mean, I'm assuming Yahoo, ESPN, and any other league that you play on as well. Um, registration for fantasy hockey should probably be open by now. I know there are some people who have drafts coming up as early as this weekend. Um, so if you do need your fantasy hockey draft kit, you can head over to the fantasyalarm.com and check out the NHL cheat sheet. So the NHL cheat sheet has that I was able to participate again in this year. So big thanks to the people over at the Fantasy Alarm for continuing to trust my judgment in that. I did it as well with Andrew Dewhurst. He's also a very bright-minded person. Um, he did the overall rankings. I did the cheat sheet that breaks down the players you should be taking per round. He broke down the rookies. I broke down sleepers and busts for next season. Anyways, it's loaded with information to help you absolutely dominate draft season, right? You're going to have a lot. Maybe you're in more than one league, right? So you should not be going into your draft without a draft guide. You can get your draft guide from wherever you want. But the fantasy alarm draft guide, like I said, I, you know, I made sure that it was good. I take it seriously. I want to make sure I give out the best advice. I'm gonna get a lot of picks wrong, but I'm hoping I'm gonna get a lot of ones right too. So you should definitely check that out. It's ten whole dollars. So if you skip your McDonald's trio, you can buy the draft kit. It's gonna be updated as the se- as we approach puck drop of the regular season so you all that information will be up to date you can check that out now you can sign up for it now head over to the fantasyalarm.com get your draft kit be ready to dominate so in that draft kit right like i said i did the sleepers and busts so i picked 10 players who i think are going to exceed their adp and 10 players who are not because over time, people have come to understand sleepers and busts as like these sleepers that you're going to find pick 205 overall, and they're just going to give out like 70 points, right? And that's not how I like to look at sleepers. The same thing with busts, right? I like to talk about sleepers in regards to their average draft position, so their ADP as we like to call, because I feel like if you're sleeping on a player and his ADP, then there's it, it's there's value to be you know had there. And in fantasy hockey, it's about value. Every There is no such thing as an undraftable player with the exception of Martin Jones. So if you follow me on Twitter, obviously you know how I feel about Martin Jones. He is a trash can. Do not draft him. And luckily for you, this year you probably won't have to. But in short, I, I target players who I think will exceed whatever their ADP is. Because that's the goal of fantasy hockey, okay? If I tell you to take Sidney Crosby first overall, you're going to say, Chris, that's dumb. Yeah, it's dumb because he's not going to hit that that value. He's not going to return first overall pick value. Now, if I said, okay, well, Sidney Crosby's going 100th overall, you'd say, wow, that's excellent value. The same player, but his ADP is different. That's where you've created the value. So when I talk about sleepers and I talk about busts, I talk about either them exceeding or not hitting 
their average draft position and returning fantasy value. So let's go through a couple of players today. I have a total of six that I'm going to talk about. So two players that I think are going to bust on their ADP and four players that I think are going to exceed. And now I've used ESPN's rankings uh, to judge um, their ADP. Now, I have shit on ESPN a lot over the years, and that will continue this year. I think ESPN, again, ESPN doesn't listen to this. If they do, no apologies, right? But their rankings are absolute garbage. Every year they come out, I look at them and I say, man, I'm not sure who puts this together. Did they just pick names out of a hat and put it because some of them are really bad? Now, I understand scoring systems are different, okay? But in ESPNs, I'll give them credit here. They they disclose, you know, their overall scoring setting. So for goals, it's two points. Assists, it's one point. Power play points, it's half a point. Shorthanded points, half a point as well. Shot on goals is 0.1. Hits, 0.1. Block shots, 0.5. On the goaltending side, it's four points for a win. Minus two points for a goals for every goal against. Uh, 0.2 for a save. Three points for a shutout. And they get one point for an overtime loss. So they... Now, is this scoring kind of standard? A little bit, yes. So whether you're playing on ESPN, whether you're playing on Yahoo or any other you know fantasy hockey site, most scorings will be like this. If you're in a custom league with some friends and your scoring is different, obviously rankings are going to change. If you're in a head-to-head points league, head-to-head categories league, points only, or rotisserie league, again, that's also going to change. But most people play head-to-head points or head-to-head categories, and this is how I've broken it down. And this are in, in their rankings, it doesn't say how they've put point totals there, so I'm assuming they're talking about head-to-head points. So that's how I broke down these rankings to find value and where I think players will not hit their value. And again, ESPN rankings are terrible. I usually follow the NHL.com's Pete Jensen and the entire team over there. They do an excellent job. I don't agree with every pick or their rankings to a T, but they generally do a good job. I don't know if Yahoo's rankings are out yet. I'm assuming they should be if ESPNs are. I haven't had a chance to take a look at them. But again, I'm assuming they got to be anything better than whatever ESPN has come up with. Because again, if you're drafting on ESPN and and you're using their rankings, I mean, don't. You should always get a draft guide from somewhere else that isn't associated with the site where you're drafting on. You can get them anywhere you want. Do not get the general ones that are on those sites. It just doesn't seem like a good idea. Is that pumping my tires so that you buy the Fantasy Alarm cheat sheet? Maybe, but you probably should do it. So let's go through here. I'm going to start with the players who I think are going to be a bust, who are not going to hit their ADP value here, okay? And I'm going to explain to you why. Again, you can disagree with my picks. And again, this will vary based on your league settings, but I'm going to go with head-to-head points as the stand, as the category or the type of matchup that we're looking at. So let's start with the first player. So the first player that I don't think is going to hit his ADP, who I think is a bust, is Jeff Petrie. Now, yes, I'm going to talk about a Montreal Canes player. Also, I'm going to mention this quickly. All these players that I mentioned here, they're not in the Fantasy Alarm Cheat Sheet Draft Guide, okay? So I'm giving you six completely new players. Like I said, I broke down 10 sleepers, 10 busts. If you sign up for that and you buy the draft kit, it's not going to repeat. There's no repeat here, so you're not losing out on anything. So you got to buy the draft kit if you want to know about the other 10, okay? Which you should do. So my first player here that I think is a bust is Jeff Petrie. Now, 
Jeff Petrie here is ranked 52nd overall on ESPN. Okay. Now, Jeff Petrie is a decent defenseman. He's 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 good enough. He's good enough to be top 100. In my mind, I think so. But 52 overall is a real stretch for a defenseman who plays on a team that has a terrible power play. Okay, The Machado Canadiens have a terrible power play. I don't know how much better they're going to be this season. I know they added Tyler Toffoli. I know they added Josh Anderson. I think that makes their team better. I don't think that's going to make Jeff Petrie any better. Okay, so Jeff Petrie over the last, I'm going to take the last three seasons. He's, he's, he's eclipsed 40 points over the last three seasons. He played 71 games, like I said, last season that stopped because of the pandemic. He probably could have hit 45 points. Okay, I think so. Now, is 45 and 46 points terrible for a defenseman? No, it's not. But I really don't think he's going to get there. I really don't. Jeff Petrie doesn't get the power play opportunities that he should. Okay, he's not a top power play unit guy. I think Shea Weber is going to take that. Now, I will say this. Jeff Petrie is the only Montreal Canadian defenseman that has any sense of offense to his game. Okay, Because Shea Weber doesn't. Shea Weber is not a puck-moving defenseman, and Jeff Petrie is. The Montreal Canadiens have Ben Sherratt, Joel Edmondson, Brett Kulak, and I'm assuming Romanov is going to take that final position even if i put victor mete in there which could rotate as the seventh defenseman not one of those defensemen are puck moving defensemen so jeff petrie is the only one now montreal will probably run four forwards on the power play as they should as of right now and again this is probably not as up to date right daily faceoff has jeff petrie on the top power play unit i don't think that sticks i really don't i think shay you shay weber has a bomb that's like he scores his goals on the power play, you're going to give him top power play minutes. And you're going to run four forwards out there like most teams do. So my assumption here is Jeff Petrie is going to lose out on that top power play unit spot. And even on the second unit, again, most good teams don't have two units, so it doesn't matter. So Jeff Petrie's value of collecting points on the power play is just not there. And is do I think he can get... 40 points again sure but 40 points for a defenseman is kind of just like it's top 100 but it's not 52nd overall okay it's not here are a list of players that espn has ranked behind jeff petrie okay and all these players i would take ahead of him so seth jones ivan provorov miro hiskinen rasmus dalin thomas shabbat and quinn hughes all these defensemen are ranked behind jeff petrie and I would take, and th this is just a few, there, there's a whole other ones, right? These, at least these six, I would take ahead of Jeff Petrie. Easy, easy on this list. So if Jeff Petrie right now, I think he's ranked as the 12th overall defenseman on ESPN. Give me a second here, let me. Uh, Jeff Petrie, 12th defenseman. I just named six that I would take ahead of him. That drops him to defenseman 18, which would probably push him ladder down there are other ones there i probably that drops into about pick 77 or 80 so that's almost three rounds later again maybe i'm wrong here and if jeff petrie hits 50 points even better for him but i'm not taking him as the 12th overall defenseman in fantasy hockey i don't think he hits there his 10 goals is kind of nice his 40 points are okay i'm just not taking him that early 
and you probably shouldn't either. There are those six players that I named have a higher upside in points. And again, a lot of your league settings are going to have points for hits and block shots. I mean, Petrie doesn't do much of any of those things. He's not a big boy. He doesn't hit a lot, right? doesn't block a ton of shots either. So even in those outside categories, he's not going to get you much, which is why I don't really see a ton of upside here. Outside of his points, which again, I'm assuming if he plays the entire season, plays 82 games, maybe he has 43, 44 points, not terrible for a defenseman. But I want, I'm, I'm looking to target defensemen who can easily hit 50 points. And I think any of those defensemen I just named have a realistic shot at doing it. Realistic shot. So no, I'm not drafting Jack Petrie. The second player here that I think that is not going to hit his fantasy value is Adam Henrique. Okay? Adam Henrique, by the way, plays for the Anaheim Ducks in case you're quite not sure where he is. So I looked at this. He's the 88th player off the board which is the 27th centerman. Now, there's an abundance of centermen. So, again, if you're drafting centermen early, you're probably not going to need Adam Henrique. And I was kind of surprised to see him here, so I dug a little bit deeper into his stats. And I wanted to see, well, what is, who is Adam Henrique? Now, Adam Henrique had 26 goals last season, which is pretty good. So if your league rewards you for goals versus points, right? Like, let's say they give you two points for a goal, one point for an assist— there's some value here with Adam Henrique. And if the Ducks had played a full, or if Henrique would have played 82 games, maybe he hits 30 goals, which is pretty good for a defense, for a, for a centerman, you're telling me, right? Okay. But he had 43 points total. He has hit the 50-point plateau once in his career when he was in Jersey. That was the only year he hit 30 goals. Again, he might have done it this year. But overall, this is a player who kind of bounces back and forth. He has had 43 points last season. 42. He had 36 the previous year, but he only played, uh, no, sorry, 36, 40, 50. My apologies. He had 50 points because he split it between New Jersey and Anaheim. So he's about a 50-point player, which is pretty good in the NHL. But I'm again, he's a centerman. There's an abundance of centermen. There are players with dual eligibility who play center and a wing. Henrique is not one of those. The Anaheim Ducks are going to continue to give Ryan Getzlaff those top power play minutes and those top line minutes. So Adam Henrique's going to get whatever is left here. His 26 goals are nice, but his 43 points really don't stand out for me. I'm not drafting a player inside the top 100 who's going to get maybe 45 points. That, to me, in a shallow league, is left like he's not drafted. In 12 to 14 team leagues, he's a depth player there, right? He's maybe your fourth centerman, fifth centerman. He's kind of far off the board. He's the kind of player where if your lineup is completely stacked, like let's say Saturday, where every team plays, he's probably going to be relegated to the bench. He's not starting, right? I'm also looking at his ice time here, and I'm saying, man, he played just shy of 17 minutes last season, 16.52, okay? He's, he's not seeing enough ice time here to make it. He is consistently seen over 17 minutes in his career when he was in Jersey, right? From 2011-12 to 2017-2018, he regularly saw over 17 minutes. 2018-2019, okay, he saw 16.27 per game. Now he saw 16.52. So he's seeing less minutes, and it's obviously going to hurt his point total. If you're not playing a lot, you're not going to get as many points. He's not a guy who picks up a ton of points on the power play either. He's had nine. He had nine total power play points last season. He had 13 the year before. So 
the Anaheim Ducks as well. I mean, their offense is below average. So I'm not going to target a player, 88th overall, who has a total of 43 points. When I can grab, and these are players, again, ranked after him, who I would take in a heartbeat. Okay, Claude Giroux, Alex DeBrincat, Evander Kane, William Nylander, and Anthony Bantha. Now, I understand that the the latter four, DeBrincat, Kane, Nylander, and Mantha, they're wingers. And again, at this point in the draft, I probably have two centermans. I don't need to find another one. I'll find them later. Don't worry. There's an abundance of those centermen. ESPN and Yahoo rankings give center eligibility to players who don't even deserve it. Okay? And the player who kind of stuck out to me here was Claude Giroux, who was being taken after him. Now, I know Claude Giroux had a difficult season, okay? I know he did. He's ranked as the 29th centerman here, okay? 29th centerman. Adam Henrique is 27. He's 29th, Giroux. And then I went and I said, well, why is Giroux so far back? I didn't include him here as one, but I'm just going to, in comparison, if I'm looking at these two players here. So, again... Giroud had 53 points last season in 69 games. Assuming he plays 82, he's going to get to 60. That's a really down year for a player who had 85 the year before and 102 points in 2017-2018. Now, is the 100-point kind of just like an off year kind of? I would say so, right? I think it's just one of those years where he just, you know, it kind of just happened. He played well. Things went well. He's moved to the wing since, by the way. He plays, he's a winger, and yet here he is being listed as a centerman, and he probably has center eligibility in whatever league you're in. So even his 85 points last season, which is a point-per-game pace, again, he had a tough season last year. Is this part of the decline? I don't know. I do know that he played under 20 minutes a game, okay? I do know that. He played 18-59. I'm going to round it up, 19, Okay. He was playing 21 and a half in 2018-2019, 20 and a half again in 2017-2018. So he's playing a minute less, okay? He also had less power play points, okay, which is a problem. Giroud's not going to rack up a whole bunch of power play goals, but he's going to get the power play points. And to me, I'm going to bank on a player. If I had between Henrique and Giroud, like I'm drafting Giroud ahead of him, because even in a down year for Claude Giroux, he had 53 points. If he just plays a little bit better, or if things go a little bit more smoothly, like he can easily eclipse 60 points. Easily eclipse 60. He could maybe hit 70. Maybe. And he's going as the 29th center on ESPN. And he's what, 98 overall? Come on, man. Are you kidding me? That's that's what brought my attention to Henrique. I'm saying, well, why am I drafting Henry, Hen, you know, Adam Henrique so early? Why would I do that? I would not draft him in the top 100. I probably wouldn't draft him in the top 125. He's kind of one of those players that just doesn't really jump out. And again, if he scores 30 goals, even better. Good for him. I'm not taking him there. I'm going to focus on players who collect points. I know goals are important. And again, if your league rewards goals... I understand that. But if your league just rewards points, why am I taking Adam Henrique when he can barely collect those points? A 50-point forward is nothing to write home about. A 40-point forward, you can probably leave on the waiver wire. There's no need. 
40-point defenseman needs to be owned. 40-point forward doesn't. So I really don't... I don't like when Adam Henrique brings to the table. I just... I wouldn't touch him. So those are the two players that I think are going to be busts based on their ADP. Okay? Let's take a look at players who I think are going to exceed their average draft position. And I'm going to start... I'm going to go here back-to-back goalies. Because goalies are important. Right? It's important. Goalies are the heart and soul of your team. Getting this right is important. Okay? I will say this. Let's start with Robin Leonard. Okay? Robin Leonard is the 67th overall ranked player on ESPN. Okay? Which is which is the 12th overall goalie. If I'm in a 12-team league, Robin Leonard then is one of my top goalies. If I'm in a 10-team league, he's somebody's backup maybe. And... To me, I think the reason why people are a little bit skeptical of taking Leonard is because they're afraid of Marc-Andre Fleury and the number of starts that he's going to get. Now, Robin Leonard came over from Chicago in the trade. He played three games in the regular season for Las Vegas. Three games. Small sample size, I know. In those three games, three wins, 1.67 goals against average, 940 save percentage. That's absolutely elite. Okay. Even in Chicago, okay. Even in Chicago, I'm like looking at Leonard. He had a 3.01 goals against average, which is high. He's got a 9.18 save percentage. Chicago was a terrible defensive team. They gave up the most shots per game. And yet, Robin Leonard is giving up three goals a game and probably finishing with 36 saves because Chicago just couldn't defend. And Robin Leonard has been exceptionally good in his career, okay? His one season in Long Island, right? If we remember that, 213 goals against average, 930 save percentage. He struggled a little bit in Buffalo, but he's consistently had really good save percentages there as well. He has been really good everywhere he goes. He finished with a 2.89 goals against average and a 920 save percentage. So he's stopping a lot of pucks, but people think he's giving a lot of goals. I'm not focused on the goals against average. I'm really not. That's just how many goals you give up. Now, this is in today's modern NHL, teams score more goals than ever. You're not going to find goalies with a 2.05, 2.1 goals against average. You're not going to find those players. So I'm going to target save percentage. How many pucks are you stopping? If you're in a league that rewards you for saves, I want to target goalies who stop the puck. And Robin Leonard does that. He's only 29, by the way, right? Like, I think maybe people think he's, like, stupid old. He's not. He's not. He's really good. And Las Vegas has has gotten better. The Knights are an even better team. They have a ton of depth up front. And they're back six now. Defensively, they are good. They've added Alex Petrangelo to that mix. They were already good defensively. They've gotten even better. He will only make that team better. And Robin Leonard in front of a really having a really good team in front of him is going to outperform that 12th overall goalie ranking in no time. Okay. Here's how I look at where he should be. Okay. The top fantasy goalie in hockey in my mind is Andre Vasilevsky. Okay. The second is Connor Hellebuck. The third, I'm not going to tell you because he's in the fantasy alarm sleeper article. So you need to check that out. But Robin Leonard then is the fourth. To me, 
He's the fourth best goalie in fantasy hockey. I think he can return that, regardless of how many games Marc-Andre Fleury plays. I don't think it's a timeshare in Vegas. I really don't. I think Marc-Andre Fleury, I think the skills are starting to go away. He's getting a little bit older. I think he's going to be relegated to a backup at some point. You don't trade for Robin Leonard and give him five-plus million dollars a year to sit on the bench, right? And again, Marc-Andre Fleury is pretty good, but he wasn't where he needed to be last season. He wasn't, and that kind of hurt the Golden Knights a little bit. And they go out, they trade for Robin Leonard, and they decide, hey, we're going to sign him and we're going to keep him. I do think he's the starting goalie. And again, some people might be weary of that and like sit back and say, oh, I'm not sure. But those same people are willing to draft Tuka Rask when Tuka Rask is probably on the decline and Yaroslav Halak plays half the games. So that's an unfair, unfair conversation to have for Robin Leonard when you're discrediting it for the Bruins. And again, we're not even going to touch on those players because, well, the Bruins are a whole other story. So to me, Robin Leonard is the fourth best goalie in fantasy hockey. If that's the case, he's going way ahead of his 67th overall. I think he's one of the better goalies in the league, and I think people need to just figure out that he's worth a high pick. He's a good goalie. He will outperform his ADP. No questions asked in my mind. Okay, That's the first goalie. The second goalie I want to take a moment and focus on here is Mackenzie Blackwood, okay, the New Jersey Devils goalie. Now, the New Jersey Devils went out and they signed Corey Crawford. Corey Crawford's going to go in and back up Mackenzie Blackwood. He's going to get some starts, which is fine. But I think Mackenzie Blackwood is a really good goalie who people just kind of don't know because he plays in New Jersey and the Devils are not great. I think the Devils are going to be better this season. Okay, I think some of their young players are going to take another step, specifically Jack Hughes, right? Nico Heischer. I think they're going to get better. I think maybe P.K. Subban comes back into form. I think their defense is not that bad. This team is a defense-first kind of team. And when I look at Mackenzie Blackwood, okay, he had a really strong rookie season. He did. And his 2.77 goals against average is what it is. But he got a 9.15 save percentage on a team that doesn't score a lot of goals. And, well, they play a lot of defense. He was even better. His numbers were even better in his first year, okay, where he had a 10-10 and record. He started 43 games. I, I mean, again, I don't know what the timeshare is going to be, right? But I don't think Corey Crawford's going to come in there and eat a whole bunch of those minutes. I really don't. A, Corey Crawford's health is always something to monitor. That's to take a look at. But Mackenzie Blackwood in his rookie season did a really good... I mean, was he a rookie? Was, I don't know. Maybe I think he was considered for rookie of the year. Or was that the year before? Doesn't matter. He's a good goalie is what I'm saying. Right now... Mackenzie Blackwood is the 19th goalie off the board. That's 132nd overall. He is somebody's second goalie, and in some cases, a third. I think he deserves to go ahead of 19th, okay? I think there's a goalie here, right, on ESPN's ranking. UC Saros is the 13th overall goalie they have ranked. Let me just pull up their list here. I think UC Saros is the 13th overall goalie. 13th, correct. 93rd overall. If I have to pick between UC Saros and Mackenzie Blackwood, I'm taking Mackenzie Blackwood, and I'm not even looking back. 
There are other goalies in the mix there that I'm okay with and saying, all right, they can be there. But Mackenzie Blackwood is the 19th goalie off the board on ESPN. Bro, what? That doesn't make sense. He's a good goalie. Again, the Devils are built to play defense. Their team is kind of non... They're not exciting to watch, right? It's the Devils. They're no fun to watch. But their team is good enough defensively that they can do what they need to do to pick up wins. Okay? That's that's the truth. Okay? Is their defense going to hold up? I think it can. The question is going to be how many goals can they score? Can they give Blackwood the support that he needs to win? Because right now he's stopping the puck. Right? And if your league doesn't criticize you too hardly for losses and wins, he, I mean, he did have a winning record. So even there, there's there's something to be made of. I don't understand why he's the 19th goalie off the board. When there are other goalies in front of him, I'm like, oh, no, I'm not taking him. I don't want anything to do with him. So Mackenzie Blackwood, Robin Leonard, take them. Look at them. Don't be afraid of them. Don't worry. Don't be afraid of Corey Crawford. Don't be afraid of Marc-Andre Fleury. They're going to get starts every once in a while. It's fine. It's normal. These two goalies are worth it. Okay? Next, player who's going to outperform his ADP here. And honestly, this one kind of shocked me a little bit. Because I didn't think it was possible for this to happen. Okay? Braden Point. Braden Point is the 65th player off the board on ESPN. Okay? The 19th centerman. Again, centermen are deep. But again... ESPN gives out centerman rankings to anybody, really. Okay, they don't even care. All right, they have Sebastian Ajo ranked as a winger. Okay, so again, I talk negatively about them, and they keep proving my point. Okay, Braden Point had a breakout season the year before. Okay, he did in 2018-2019. He had 92 points. Okay. He had a down season technically last season. He only played 66 games. He missed some games due to injury at the beginning of the year. He still had 64 points in those 66 games. Okay, He came back down to earth a little bit, which I think is fair. Okay, Because in the previous year, 2018-2019, when he had 92 points, he also had a 21.5 shooting percentage, which is ridiculous. He's scoring a goal, one goal every five shots. He also had 20 goals on the power play. Half his goals came on the power play. 20 power play goals, 15 power play assists. He didn't have that this year. He only had 13 points total. So when you go from 35 points to 13 on the power play, you're going to have less points. Okay, And I think people are starting to fear, you know, Steven Stamkos missed all the playoffs due to his injury. You know, Stamkos is going to come back. I think Stamkos is going to play the wing. I think he's a winger now. He can play center. But I think Braden Point's going to play center on the top line with Nikita Kucherov. And at that point, you can put Steven Stamkos on the second line to play wing on the on the right side. Or occasionally, you can put him left wing on the top line and you want to create that big power line. Regardless of that, Point's going to see top power play minutes. Nothing's going to change there. The Tampa Bay Lightning are still a very good team. Like I said, the season before, they were just unstoppable. You couldn't stop the Tampa Bay Lightning. Everybody had points, including Braden Point. But the drop in points here, again, if this season plays out, maybe he finishes with 75-some-odd points. A point-a-game player, to me, 
does not deserve to go 65th overall. He does not deserve to be the 19th centerman off the board. To me, he's close to a top 15 centerman. Close. I'd probably take him inside the top 15, depending on who your league ranks as a centerman. Right? Because again, for whatever reason, some you know players are not ranked correctly. Is it? It's unrealistic. In my mind, it's unrealistic to expect him to score 40 goals again. Okay, just because I think those numbers that he had, specifically his shooting percentage, was off. I think his shooting percentage was way off, right? He had four, so in his first year it was 14.8, 14.7 in his second, 21.5 in the third, 17.7 this past season. His career is 17.3. So if he's shooting 14, 17%, he's a 30 plus goal scorer. He's going to pick up assists because that team. You know, the Lightning are just so good offensively. He's going to collect his points. If he stays healthy, he's a point-per-game point player. If he plays 82 games on an 82-game pace, he is 82 points at least. And I'm drafting him 65th overall? Really? Here are the lists of players going ahead of Braden Point. Ryan Graves is 64th overall. If you have no idea who Ryan Graves is, he's a defenseman for the Colorado Avalanche, okay? Alex Edler of the Vancouver Canucks, 61st. Again, this league rewards hits and block shots, but they're fractional points here. I don't understand how these two got ahead of him. Anze Kopitar is 54th. Travis Konechny is 47th. And by the way, Travis Konechny is listed as a centerman on ESPN. He is a winger. So he's 47th overall off the ESPN board. I would take Braden Point ahead of all these players. Okay? I would take Braden Point 47th overall in the place of Travis Konechny. Travis Konechny technically at that point is C14. He's the 14th centerman off the board. I'd take him there. At worst case scenario, I would take him there. Mark Shifley is 13th. Elias Pettersson is 12th. I don't know if he's better than those players. You know, again, here, look, JT Miller is ranked as a centerman. He played the wing his entire time in Vancouver. So, I don't. again, I don't understand how ESPN comes up with this. Another conversation for another day. All I'm saying here is Braden Point, to me, is a top 50 overall player. He's a top 15 centerman. The potential for him to do stuff playing with Nikita Kucherov on one side, even Andre Palat's not bad on the other side. He had a good season. And this team, this this Lightning team is deep. And with Steven Stamkos healthy, you know, Victor Hedman on the point there, you know, Mikhail Sergachev is starting to break. There's some st- there's a, a chance that this team really excels offensively, as we've seen them do. So for them to just discredit him. Because of one bad season? No. No, 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 no. Not buying it. Okay? Draft him. The final player we're going to talk about, and this one is the most important out of all of them I just talked about. Robin Leonard is important. Kenzie Blackwood is important. Braden Point is important. Yes. This player right here is the most important one that you need to have a conversation about. And I'm talking about Artemi Panarin. You're going to say, okay, well, Chris, Artemi Panera has been taken early. Again, according to ESPN's ranking, he is the 21st player off the board. Sixth left winger. Now, I want to... Six. 
That means there are five left wingers that are apparently being taken ahead of him. Okay. So Alex Ovechkin is the top left winger on their board. And I'm not going to argue that. Okay. I'm not going to argue it. Because if you're in a league where goals are more important, then Alex Ovechkin is the one of the most important players to draft. They have Alex Ovechkin as the fourth overall player. And again, you can debate as you want whether that is in a points-only league. Maybe that hurts because Ovechkin only had 67 points. He's a point-per-game player. Maybe he finishes with 82 if he's lucky. 80 points, which is still pretty good. Finishes maybe 55 goals. He's a goal scorer, right? Ovechkin had 311 shots in 68 games. He just pumps shots. So in a league where goals are important, Alex Ovechkin, to me, is still the top left winger off the board. He has to be. But Panarin is number two. And don't at me about it. Don't do, no, 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 because you're wrong. No, 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 no. No, I'm not. Artemi Panarin had 95 points in 69 games. 95. He had 32 goals. He pumped points for a Rangers team that was supposed to be god-awful garbage. The Rangers, by the way, have gotten exceptionally better over the summer, by the way, okay? Because they added Alexi Lafreniere, who I think if he plays the way he should play, should be able to produce at a high level. And I'm expecting bigger things from Capo Caco now. I think he can grow into a top six role here for the Rangers. The Rangers have a top six that should terrify the NHL. The Metropolitan Division, which I know won't be the Metropolitan Division this year because, you know, COVID, or maybe they do keep it. I don't know. However, they want to realign it, is one of the is the group of deaf, if you want to call it. That division is stocked. And I'm looking at the Rangers top six based on what Daily Faceoff has. And again, this is as up to date as it is for them. Okay, you have Alex, Alexi Lafreniere, left wing, top line, Mika Zibitajad, the center, Chris Kreider on the right side. Artemi Panarin, second line, left wing, Ryan Strom in the middle, Pavel Buchnevich, right wing. Okay? That's a pretty good top six. Kapokako's on the third line, and again, you can have a good third line too, by the way. You don't have to stop at a top six. You can have a top nine be very good. But in my mind, right, when you have 95 points in a season with the possibility to have more, and it's not like he did a lot more. His shooting percentage was 15.3 last season. It's 14.4 career. So it's on pace with what he's doing, okay? He had 18 power play points, right, his last year in Columbus, okay? He had 24 with the Rangers. He saw a little bit of an uptick in ice time from 1951 to 20.36. So there's nothing here that says, hey, this player just, you know, he's there's something that's off right here. He's he's taking more shots. He didn't even take a ton of shots either. Right. Well, well, he probably would have. Correction. He probably would have had they played 82 games. So his shot total is about the same as well. This is a player who performs. He's really good. He is the second best left winger in hockey. Why am I taking Artemi Panarin 21st overall when he has the easy potential of hitting 100 points in an 82 game season? Are there 100 point players too much? Are, are there too many of them? If you get 100 points in a season, you're a top 10 player. Top 10. Top 10. You, you can't take a defenseman or a goalie at that point because the opportunity cost would be so high. But 
just doesn't work for me. He's 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 a top 10 overall player. I don't care how you set up your list. I don't care where you put other players. When you get to the 10th player, it's either Artemi Panarin or he's already included. That's it. End of discussion. He is the second best left winger in hockey. And ESPN has the audacity to put him as sixth. Here are the players going ahead of him. Okay. Left wing, Sebastian Ajo. They rank him as a left winger. He's a centerman. I'll leave him there. That's the place he should be. Okay. Third, Jonathan Huberto. He's going 14th overall. Nothing against Jonathan Huberto. He's a really good player. But man, Florida's not the same team. Genny Dodonov is not there. Mike Hoffman's not there. This team doesn't look great. I'm not taking him there. Okay. Left wing number four, Jake Gensel. Now, Jake Gensel has the potential to score a boatload of goals. Okay. He had 20 goals in 39 games. Whole baby. Jake Gensel can probably score 50 in the NHL. Easy. He could probably score 50. So, okay. I'd still take Panarin ahead of Gensel. I still would. But I I mean, I have no problem with Gensel being where he is on the board. I have no problem with it. 15th overall, fine. Left wing five, Brad Marchand. Now again, is Brad Marchand a terrible player? No. He is he is having off-season surgery. I don't know how that's gonna play out. I don't know how he's gonna return. I don't know how he's gonna feel. Brad Marchand has had 100 points, right? He's a great overall player. That Bruins top line is good. I just, the potential from Artemi Panarin to do stuff this season is off the charts. It's off the charts. He is the second best left winger in hockey after Alexander Ovechkin. You can have Alexander Ovechkin, Artemi Panarin, Jonathan Huberdeau, Jake Gensel, Brad Marchand. I would be okay with that. Brad Marchand, I could in and out there, maybe somebody else. But in a sense, that's how I would rank my left wing, my top five left wingers. And again, I could probably dig into it, some numbers, and it would change. Based on league settings, it'll change. You already know this because I keep repeating it. But on the outside of this, Artemi Panarin at 21st overall is a joke. He is a top 10 pick, which means if you're in a 10-team league, you're starting your draft with him, which is a great place to start, by the way. And again, if I'm looking in a draft, I'm probably drafting wingers early. If your league is dead set on having you have a left winger and a right winger, then I'm definitely targeting some wingers early. We're going to do a podcast about draft strategies and things to go through with them and all that. So we're going to go through that. But like I said, there's an abundance of centermen. There are so many. There are so many centermen that you can choose from, right? Don't limit yourself. Don't limit your top three picks according top five. Oh, no, no, no. Whatever. Top three picks. I'll go with that. They have Stamkos at center as the fourth overall player. They have Stamkos here, right? Fourth overall. Matthews is fifth. Mika Zibanejad sixth. Again, nothing against Steven Stamkos, man. I'm not taking him fifth. I'm not taking him fourth overall. Fifth overall, sorry. I'm not taking him ahead of Austin Matthews. My apologies to you, Steven, but no. Again, ESPN list here. But I'm definitely targeting wingers. 
There are not many of them. Even Nikita Kucherov at nine. Like, there's so many good choices. You could argue back and forth which player you want to take, and I'd be okay with that too, right? Nikita Kucherov still had 85 points. He had 128 last the season before that. Like, oh my God. And he's ninth. And I wouldn't completely argue that. Do I think he can hit 128 again? A stretch. I have no problem with him being in the top 10 either. He should be there. He's the top right winger off the board. Okay. You know, that is that is what it is. We can argue the logistics and the details of that. But Artemi Panarin at 21? No. No, 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 no. No, no. Top 10. Top 10 from a player who could easily finish with 100-plus points in an 82-game season. And again, the Rangers are so good offensively on paper. I can't wait to see them in action. And if Lafreniere is as good as he can be and he can bring something to this team, then look out, man. The Rangers are going to be good. Their defense is good. Their goaltending should be good too. Look out. So those are the four players who I think are going to exceed their ADP next season. Those are four players you should be targeting. And if you draft correctly, you could have all four of those players on your team and not give up value elsewhere. All four of those players you can have. I would draft all four of them on my team in a heartbeat. Wouldn't even matter. So yeah, those are the four players. Like I mentioned, the other two players who are not going to hit their ADP. And those are the six players, man. And that, ladies and gentlemen, brings us to the end of the podcast. As I said, make sure you check out the Fantasy Alarm Draft Guide. Go pick it up. It's 10 bucks. It's a perfect investment, especially if you're playing fantasy hockey. It's going to be updated by me. It's going to be up to date. If you have questions, make sure you slide into the DM on Twitter at FuzzyChris91. Follow the podcast on Twitter at SlapshotPodcast. Tell me your list. Tell me if you agree with this. You can slide and tell me I'm wrong. That's fine. I have no problem with that. Tell me if you agree with those choices. Tell me if you disagree. Tell me why. Let me know. Share the podcast with your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you find your podcast. It's on Podbean. It's on Spotify. It's on Stitcher. It's on YouTube. It's on Apple Podcasts. Get it. Listen to it. There's going to be a lot more of them now. Fantasy hockey is coming. I promise I'm going to get to at least one every week. I'm going to try stupidly hard just because there's so much to talk about this time of year. There's so many things. It's going to be, all, Most of the podcasts are going to be tailored towards fantasy hockey. So we're going to take a look at that. We're going to talk fantasy hockey. If you play fantasy hockey, you don't want to miss the next couple of episodes coming up, man. Like I said, follow. Keep everything up to date. It's going to be a great year for fantasy hockey. So settle in. Grab your beverage of choice. Grab your popcorn and sit back. There's a lot of podcasts coming, man. Thank you so much again for joining me. Be safe. Wash your hands, and we'll talk to each other soon. Bye.